Welcome back to Season 1, Episode 6 of the One Proposal Podcast. I am your host, Dalia. To this day, my dad has never met a boyfriend of mine. One prospect came really close in high school. My mom would help facilitate my dates with boys without my dad finding out. Once, we must have timed it wrong because my dad arrived the moment I was being dropped off after a lunch date. The guy saw my dad pull up and excitedly said he wanted to meet him. I told him it wasn't a good idea as my dad got off the company truck, carrying his lunch pail and a red rag. When my dad noticed it was me, infuriated, he stormed towards us after throwing his items to the ground. I begged the guy, leave now. He must have sensed the urgency in my voice and left the scene. That, my friends, was the closest a suitor has come to meeting my dad. In all the relationships and situationships I have been in, it has been me, myself, and I navigating the treacherous dating waters from start to finish. The world would have us believe that we know ourselves best. Therefore, I can make the most important decisions on my own, especially where the opposite sex is concerned. If my track record of broken and messed up relationships are any indication, it's safe to say that I don't know best. There's a rebellious guy in high school. The evening of our first date, while driving around town in his hot new car, he made an excuse about going to his apartment. Inside the dark apartment, he cornered me up against the wall. Surely, he saw the fear when he brought his face close to mine. He laughed, shrugged it off, and said, Don't worry, I'm not going to try anything. In college, there was the jealous and possessive ex-boyfriend who pinned me to the ground in a chokehold. And then, years later, as a new Christian, there was a military medical professional whose naked body I struggled to break free from just a few days after meeting him. I never questioned if any of these guys were God-sent. I just went with it. Que será, será. What will be, will be. After I became a Christian, more and more, I began to wonder if people, including men, were sent into my life by God. In today's episode, we explore how to recognize when a man is God-sent. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, I commit this journey to you, trusting it wholly to you. Cause my thoughts to become agreeable to your will. Today, I'm asking for your wisdom in the area of relationships, preparation, and being found by the one. I ask that our minds may be opened to see your light so that we will know and understand what is a hope to which you have called each one of us. As women who are yet to be married, we commit our way to you, Lord. We roll each care of this load to you. We lean on, rely on, and are confident in you and trust that you will bring it to pass in Jesus' name. In Genesis 2.22, it says, The rib which the Lord God had taken for man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. The word brought, in the original Hebrew here, is made up of two words, go and come, to go or to come. One definition of go means to move on a course. The scripture in Hebrews 12.1 comes to mind, which says, 
Let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. Notice that the course here is appointed. Each person has their own appointed and very specific course in life. Friends, that's the course I want God to move me on. His appointed course for my life. The second word, come, means to advance or move into view. Yep, that's what I want too. For God to move me into view at the right and proper time so that my husband can find me. In the Bible, I discovered five women, Eve, Esther, Ruth, Rebecca, and Rachel, each of who were brought to their husbands. Each woman was on a very specific course for her life, and then, at the right time, were moved into view for their husbands to find them. What I also found to be very interesting is that each of these women had someone, besides herself, guiding her along her appointed course from singleness to marriage. We are first introduced to this principle with Eve in Genesis 2.22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. If we piece all this together, we see that God brought Eve to Adam. And by definition of the Hebrew word brought, we understand this to mean that God advanced or moved Eve into view by a very specific and appointed course to be a helpmeet to that of her husband, Adam. Then, in Genesis 24, we read about Abraham, who was old and asked his eldest servant, who was in charge of all Abraham had, to go back to the land where Abraham was born and find a wife for his son from among his relatives. Then, in Genesis 24, 5, the servant asked Abraham, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Let's stop right there. Here we see the principle of a man setting out to find a wife and the woman being brought unfolding. Isn't that awesome? Okay, back to the text. In Genesis 24-7, Abraham declared to the servant, For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house in my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see to it that you will find a wife there for my son. Verse 10. Then the servant loaded ten of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master, and he traveled to the distant land. There he went to the town where Abraham's brother, Nahor, had settled. Verse 11, he made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening, and the women of the city were coming out to draw water. Verse 12, then the servant prayed. Can we just stop and acknowledge the fact that the servant knew that he needed God's help? Friends, imagine this. The servant man is loaded, loaded with all kinds of expensive gifts. How many of us know that everyone who came to the well that day took notice? He could have had his pick of any woman, but he wasn't looking for just anyone. 
He was looking for the one God had appointed for Isaac. It says so in the scriptures, in his prayer to God in verse 12 through 14, which says, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. Verse 15. Before the servant had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. Friends, let me point out, even though the woman, Rebecca in this case, was brought by God, she still had to be found from among many. It wasn't just Rebecca who showed up at the well that day and then wham, bam. No, it didn't happen that way. In verse 17 through 19, the servant asked her for a drink of water. And Rebecca gave him a drink and then said, I'll draw water for your camels too. Verse 21. Without saying a word, the servant watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Verse 22. The servant had brought along an expensive gold ring and two large gold bracelets. When Rebecca had finished bringing the water, he gave her the ring for her nose and the bracelets for her arms. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? And please, tell me, would your father have any room to put us up for the night? Friends, at this point, I imagine Rebecca may have assumed that the servant was repaying her act of generosity in watering the camels when he placed the jewelry on her because he didn't say anything to her. And then look at his next move. He doesn't freak her out and tell her she's the one. Instead, he asked for her family, her father. Verse 27. When the man found out whose daughter she was, the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. And then get this. In verse 28, it says, Rebecca ran straight home and told her family everything. How many of you, like me, have left out family or those closest to us out of the initial dating process for one reason or another? How many of us have waited days, weeks, or even months before bringing a prospect, suitor, or boyfriend around family as we quote unquote get to know each other? How many of us have kept a relationship under wraps from loved ones for fear, embarrassment, or simply because you don't know if he's the one yet? Plus, our families are usually too opinionated, nitpicky, and no guy will ever be good enough in their eyes. And well, honestly, I don't need or have time for any of that. I am my own person and I don't owe anyone anything. Plus, this is my life, my body. So instead, we totally overlook any guidance and are willing to jump 
headfirst into every potential guy who crosses our path. Ask me how I know. Okay, verse 32. So the servant went to the house. Verse 33. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Rebecca's brother said. Friends, get this. When the servant arrives at the father's house, it is the servant, not the woman who explains to her father and brother how God told him she was the one. In this day and age, it's quite disheartening how many men go up to Christian women claiming that God told them they were their wives. I've seen this bring about all kinds of confusion to women. The pattern we see in scripture is that the man took it to her family. And in this case, the father and the brother were the ones who would discern if he was indeed God sent. In verses 34 through 44, the servant details the story of his master and recounts his journey that had led him there that day. And then the answered prayer from God. Verse 48. Then I bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right path to find the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Watch this. Verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel, this is her father and her brother, answered and said, The thing proceeds from the Lord. We cannot speak unto you bad or good. Verse 51. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. Friends, the father and brother both discerned that the man was God sent, not the woman. Later, in Genesis 28, it becomes the story of Jacob, whose own father instructed him to go to the house of his mother's father and take a wife there. Genesis 29 says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Verse 4 through 5. Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, Where are you from, my friends? We are from Haran, they asked. Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor? He asked. Yes, we do, they replied. Verse 6. Is he doing well? Jacob asked. Yes, he's well, they answered. Look, here comes his daughter Rachel with the flock now. Once again, we see the woman being brought and then found by the man. In verse 12, Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. Are you catching that these women are going to their fathers? They are going to their families. So how do we recognize when a man is God sent? We involve someone else to help us discern. Years ago, I created the narrative in my head that the only guy I would bring to my father would be the one that would be my husband. Today, I sense that that thinking may be skewed in light of these scriptures. Perhaps many of you don't have a father in your life who you feel you can safely run to, like so many women I know. Let's look at some women in scripture who didn't have their fathers to run to. 
Esther had neither of her parents. She was brought up by her cousin Mordecai, who took her as his own daughter. This man loved and cared for her deeply, as shown in scripture, after Esther was taken to the palace along with other women when the king was looking for another queen. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says that every day Mordecai would walk back and forth, back and forth, in front of the court to learn about Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Inside the palace, Esther found favor with Haggai, whose custody she was under. Verse 9, Esther pleased Haggai, and she obtained kindness of Haggai. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace, and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the house. Friends, Esther was on an appointed course by God, and she took these two men's counsel. Listen. Verse 15. Now, when the turn came for Esther to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai advised. Verse 20. But Esther had kept her secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Verse 17. And the king loved Esther more than any other woman. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen. Friends, Esther was on a very specific course for her life, and then at precisely the right time, she moved into view for her husband to find her. All the while, she had these two men guiding her along her appointed course from singleness to marriage. Her appointed course was to become the queen and save the Jewish people from annihilation. In another book, we learn about Ruth, who went to Naomi's country and accepted Naomi's God as her own God. Naomi would eventually guide Ruth with wise counsel as Ruth moved into view by a very specific and appointed course to become the wife of Boaz and create the lineage King David would come from. Both Esther and Ruth were brought to their husbands. Friends, there's a common theme here. Just as the other women already mentioned, they all had someone besides themselves guiding them along their appointed course from singleness to marriage. And look at the plans that God had for each one of their lives. Very specific and appointed and good, good plans. Each of these women first went to her father or family's house and took counsel. How many times have I done that last or not even done that at all? I have done all the preliminary work and only after the relationship has progressed to a serious state have I brought the guy around my loved ones, but not for their guidance or feedback and surely not for their approval. I was simply introducing them to my choice. None of my relationships were vetted by anyone except me, myself, and I, usually done alone, in private, and into the late night hours. Do we see the danger in that? The Bible says, 
in Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where no counsel is, the people fell. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So what can we learn from these women today? What have I learned from this study? Well, that I want to be like these women and run to my family first. I want someone else besides myself guiding me along God's appointed course for my life from singleness to marriage. I want to be brought by God where He advances or moves me into view by a very specific and appointed course. I want to be on God's appointed course for my life. I want the guidance and counsel from those that love me and whose care I have been entrusted to by God to help me discern that the man is God-sent. <laughs>